All right, we're here today with Natalie Nagel, and this is our second take because the recording stopped five seconds in. Um, Natalie is the co-founder and CEO of Wildbit, uh, makers of Beanstalk, Deploybot, and Postmark. And this is a little unusual because I actually work at Wildbit, uh, and the team is so great. Uh, Sifter used, integrated with Beanstalk, used Postmark, loved working with the team whenever I you know, encountered them for any reason. And once I decided to sell Sifter, I uh, started talking to them, and it was very, very natural for me to move over. So I basically love the product so much I came over. Um, so that's just a disclaimer, but we're going to stay agnostic. Uh, Natalie, can you give a quick overview of how Wildbit came up, uh, kind of when the first products were launched, and the transition to where we are now? Sure. So uh, Wildbit, we just celebrated our 16th anniversary. We just through Big Sweet 16. Um, it was started by Chris. Uh, he was 20 years old, and Chris is my husband, and we run the business together. Um, and we started doing brochure sites, kind of really small stuff locally in Philadelphia, and then slowly grew it out of there. Um, and somewhere around 2004, 2005, we launched our first product, which is an email marketing product called Newsberry that is no longer in existence. Um, and then about nine years ago, we launched Beanstalk, which you know became our largest product. Um, version control system. And then since then, Postmark and Deploybot. So that's kind of how we how we began. All right. And so the biggest thing with Wildbit, at least to me from an outside perspective, is juggling multiple products. Uh, so many companies, obviously Basecamp's doubling down and focusing, uh, and, and there's a lot of teams doing that. What would you say are the advantages and disadvantages of running multiple products? Yeah, so I think we're while it's a little unique in that we were not born out of a product. You know, we didn't have like a product idea and then assemble the team to make it a reality. We had a team that was doing a lot of client work for us that then all transitioned to consult uh, to products work for oh, to Beanstalk. So for Chris and I, we always say kind of like Wildbit is product agnostic. Like we kind of exist for the team first. And what that means to us is kind of diversifying our risk a little bit and making sure that our priority is to be a company that is around with jobs for all of us for the next 10, 20, you know, 30 years. So for us, you know, it's a little scary to just say like one product all in because anything can happen. And this allows us to kind of have our eggs in a few baskets and, and make sure that no matter what happens, the team has a place to call home. But it's not just all upsides, right? So there's there's juggling it how how does that how do we manage that what's the kind of the hard decisions that have to get made and how does all that unfold yeah i mean i think that's one of the biggest challenges that chris and i encountered we're still a small team we're 26 people um and with three products you end up uh really having to figure out how to focus our efforts we're still flat so um, while we do roadmap planning and all of that stuff together, there is this kind of just Chris and I who kind of are on like a more strategic level for the products, kind of see the bigger picture. So it was easy with just Beanstalk and it got more complicated with Postmark and, you know, even more complicated with Deploybot and we're building a fourth product. And the way we've always managed it is that all of them are in different stages of their lives and kind of have different needs, thankfully. So it's kind of like children, you, you know, you can kind of settle one into a, a path and then you can kind of turn your attention to another. And then, you know, hopefully they all stagger that way where we can 
separate our attention to where it's needed most. So, you know, if Beanstalk has a solid roadmap and when we started working on Postmark, we kind of delegated some of that um, strategic responsibility to some of the lead developers on that team. Um, we didn't abdicate, but we just allowed ourselves some free time to focus on Postmark. We kind of did that. Postmark took off. Now it has a dedicated product manager in Rian, who's now kind of doing some of that strategic planning, organizing all of that stuff. Allowed us some time for DeployBot and kind of the new fourth product. But it's a work in progress. You know, it's not perfect, and the flat part is probably making it the most challenging. So we're, you know, thinking about that and thinking about how we, you know, where we spend our time and our resources ourselves as the team grows and the responsibilities grow too. One of the interesting things too with multiple products is kind of how they come about, right? The genesis of the products. Is it, you know, it's, is it a big plan? Is it kind of not spontaneous, but more natural and organic? Uh, how is, how have the existing products kind of led into the future products or existing yeah, I mean, from the beginning? Totally. We, I think like to, to a fault a little bit, we like to build things. That's what, you know, that's how we got into this in the first place. Um, we're not salespeople, we're not marketers. So we're trying to get better at that, but that's not good at it yet. And so I think we like to build things. And so, um, you know, Newsberry was born out of a, a client need and uh, Beanstalk was born out of a personal need, which was, you know, we were doing client projects versus ma managing SVN repos. It was a pain in the ass and, you know, that was history. And then, you know, we were running Beanstalk for a couple of years and Chris and I back then were doing support and we would get support requests that were, you know, I invited my client to Beanstalk and they never got the email and what's going on and, you know, commit notifications. I didn't get my commit in email or my digest. And we quickly realized that for applications, those transactional emails, you're blind. You operate totally blind on those. So that was the birth of Postmark, you know. So I think, like, for us, it's, it's a lot to do with wanting to build things and having a team that likes to build things um, and also just making sure that we're working on things that are fun. You know, we, we belong to this team and we want to make sure that the things that they get to do every day are things that are exciting for them. And so, you know, we're building a fourth product because we want to make sure the team's excited and, and, and solving problems that they believe in and that they're, you know, really passionate about. Well, and the other thing about Postmark, too, is that it didn't just come up out of, purely out of the need. It was, we need this and, well, we have email experience from Newsberry, even though Newsberry wasn't necessarily the right. at the forefront, that experience helped lead into another product. So it kind of, they feed off of each other in a way and uh, provide yeah. experience to create and solve those problems. Our problem with Newsberry was we, Newsberry's audience was marketers and we are not marketers. And especially back then we didn't even understand, you know, that was like a bad word. And so um, we just didn't understand the market. We, we, we totally lost it. We didn't understand our customer. We completely misjudged it. And, we, you know, what was nice about Postmark is we took that email stuff that we knew really well, but built something for us, for developers, for teams building web apps for, you know, and that, that we know, that part we get. So that's why I think it's been such a success. One of the other challenges is this isn't just simple little products like Sifter was fairly simple if it went down it inconvenienced people but you bring it back up and everybody just gets back to work um something like postmark for infrastructure and then even beanstalk which isn't you know quite up on the same level from an infrastructure standpoint is still just absolutely critical to people's day-to-day -day work um how do you do that and keep you know when you can't afford downtime people have to get up in the middle of the night they have to drop everything and fix these things 
and it's absolutely critical. Uh, but at the same time, WildBit's culture is very much work can wait, you know, take time, go home, take care of yourself. How do you juggle those two competing aspects? Uh, because it's not easy running an infrastructure business. No, it's terrible. And every time I say I want a new product or, or somebody brings up a new product idea, I beg them. I want to do like a to-do list app because like, <laughs> you know, I just don't want to be in the line of fire anymore. But no, I mean, it's, it's tricky. So I think we start, the start for us has always been, we have to build extremely quality products like that. There's no compromising there. And so we've had QA from day one. And so we don't test in production. We never customers testing in production. We don't release stuff and then figure it out later. We, we rigorously test every release. I mean, obviously things happen, but for the most part, we rigorously test every release. And that has been extremely important because that sets us up for success and that sets us up for a calm working environment. And instead of putting out fires because of code you're releasing, you're at least protecting yourself from there. But obviously, you know, our, our thing has always been, let's protect ourselves from things we can control because there's always going to be things that's going to happen to us that we can't control. Um, and in those scenarios, hopefully we go through a long period of peace where when we do have to put out fires, there's a lot of reserves of kind of stability and calm that happens where the team kind of rallies and, you know, we make it happen. Um, but we're not, you know, we take the responsibility very seriously of what we do. If Beanstalk is down, people can't work. And that means they're not making money. You know, Postmark is down, same thing. And so for us, it's like all hands on deck when there's issues. Um, and what we've been going through recently has been, you know, unusual for us in that Postmark is kind of this fire hose, right, of, of we just were on the receiving end of this fire hose and we can't really control it. And um, what we have experienced over the last several months is like this insane amount of growth that we, you know, again, it's an infrastructure product. So like growth to us is, is not like, oh, lots of signups. It's capacity planning for physical hardware and all kinds. I mean, it's, it's intense. And so um, we were starting to feel a lot of anxiety as a team because we're putting out fires all the time. And what that translated to was, uh, kind of pausing feature development. So like all hands, let's get ourselves back to stability. Let's get ourselves back to a place where we're relaxed and we're in a peaceful environment and we're working proactively instead of reactively. And that's what we did. We just redirected the roadmap and said features can wait. And right now the most important thing is to get ourselves back to like a calm, peaceful place. So that's, I mean, that's just, you know, you kind of go through the, the, the forest a little bit, but that's the only way, that's the only way for us to do it. Well, it's, it's so easy to say, but then it's so easy to put by the wayside once it gets difficult. But the when you think about it and you look at it all in the big picture, the healthier and happier the team is, the better they're going to do on the product, the happier the customers are going to be. And it's kind of this virtuous cycle of um, just good health all around. And I think it's easy in hindsight to say, oh, we'll just put the features on hold. But there's a lot of companies that simply wouldn't do that. They would just keep trucking along, trucking along, trucking along and building on top of a, the wrong foundation. And then you're going to have those problems and everybody's going to be up in the middle of the night and it turns into kind of a, a vicious cycle there. We've been doing this a long time. And I, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there who could, who would argue with me and they're probably just much better at this than we are. But for us, no feature is directly going to tie to some hockey stick revenue event. Yeah. And if it takes an extra week or an extra month, it's going to be okay. And if you really think that you, this, this thing that you're going to launch, if somebody launches it before you, it will destroy your business, then you're not launching something innovative yeah. enough, 
or important enough. Yeah. And so to us, it's like, we don't make money on features. We make money on customer experience. We make money on the promise that we make to our, to our customers. And most of all, we do it because our team is brilliant and they're brilliant and they want to be here because they get an environment where things are slower, peaceful. They get to work on things where they can really think and use their minds. And that's our responsibility. I mean, I can't build a great product if my team's stressed out all the time. Yeah. You're going to build mediocre shit and I don't want to build mediocre stuff. (laughs) So moving on from technology, Wildbit is entirely bootstrapped um, and has been. And so going from zero dollars to millions of dollars in revenue certainly has inflection points and turning points where you've got to just step back and be like, what have we gotten ourselves into? What's going on? Um, In hindsight, what were those key points for you? What caused them and how did y'all get through them? Heard a lot. I mean, um, so, you know, like multiple, there's kind of two facets of this. One is like understanding how to grow products. Uh, I personally think it's easier to build than it is to grow. And growing is one of those things that we're we're learning as we go. Um, So the one area is figuring out how to grow a product. Um, And that kind of came a few years ago where, you know, we built Beanstalk Early on, the industry was very different back then. You did not have a product hunt. You were not launching an app every minute or every time a baby's born or whatever the crazy statistic is today. And so, you know, we were very lucky that way. We didn't have to focus on marketing. We focused on word of mouth and building a really spectacular product and integrations and things like that. And we grew it really successfully. But I think we got lucky. And a few years ago, realized that, like, oh, no, you do have to pay attention to competition and you do have to market and you do have to tell people about the stuff that you build because they don't just see it and it's noisy out there and it's and it's really hard to just do that, right? I understand what go-to-market strategies mean now and what that, you know, like those, pl- like those ideas used to be something we would laugh about that now we realize is extremely important. And we're just figuring it out. I mean, that's why Garrett's here, right? I mean, like we got to <laughs> figure out how to... Uh, yeah, we, you know, we have to figure out and that's not in our DNA. And that's been a huge inflection point for Chris and I to just really under and for the whole company to understand that, you know, postmark is a, for some customers, a really large ticket item. And those customers want to talk to people on the phone, they want sales, you know, like sales is not a bad word and coming through to that and like really growing that that's been a huge kind of growth pain, learning experience, inflection point, whatever you want to call it. And I think the second one comes on the team side, which, you know, you go from seven people, eight people, 10 people, 15 to 26, 28. And it's, it comes with a tremendous amount of new challenges. Um, and a lot of learnings that Chris and I had to do on our own, like kind of internally. And I think in the last year, year and a half, I, I, I understand when, you know, friends of mine or other companies that I know get bought or get investment and then the CEO gets replaced because I realized that it's a very different skill set required from growing, from building something to growing something, right? And Chris and I had to go through a lot of personal reflection um, to understand like what is it that we want, what is it that we're good at, um, and what is it that the team needs from us now at this point, you know, communication challenges and working on multiple products and making sure the team's happy and, and feels involved, but we're not wasting time keeping everybody involved all the time. And there's just that's been really rewarding and um, extremely fun, but also 
super different than before. And I think that's kind of what's keeping us really engaged is, is those new skills that we have to really learn and, and hone. So if you could go back knowing what you would be facing with those points, what would you have done differently? That's a great. So I think the first, on the first challenge, I would have opened my eyes sooner, I think, and, and been a little bit more, um, listen to the people around me. I had lots of advisors who came from more traditional businesses who were like, you need to sell, you need to market. And I'm like, no, 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 this is an internet business. You don't need to do that. You know? And like, I think there was a lot of comfort in what we had and growth and it was pretty safe and and good. And, you know, and I, I, you know, I wish I could go back to myself, you know, my 2012 self and be like, what the hell were you thinking? Like, you can't just sit around. You got to out innovate yourself. We know that, you know, we all read the books, but, and we all see the, you know, the stories out there, but somehow it, it just didn't click. I think that would be a big one. And then the other one, I don't, on the team side, I don't, I truly don't know. I think Chris and I went through, uh, uh, like about a, a year ago, we went through a whole process of understanding what we wanted to do with our lives. And that was really important. And I think for forever we've done everything together every meeting we were in together every planning every design conversation every interview every everything together and you know now it's obvious that was ridiculous um and i think i wish maybe a few years ago we had had those conversations with ourselves now they were in, you know yeah. they were helped along with a, a uh, an advisor and all that you know that's what helped us grow up but understanding those strengths and weaknesses and we're still it's an evolving process but understanding those and separating our responsibilities i think had a tremendous impact on the capacity of what we're able to accomplish how happy the team is and all of that um and i wish it happened sooner yeah absolutely absolutely one of the other things it's not just work and wait but so much of wild that is just about a true work-life balance. It's the kind of stuff that a lot of companies talk a big talk about, but don't follow through on. And now, especially having been at Wild Bit a year, it's very clear that it's not just talk. So, but there are times where living these values, it's easy to say, oh man, maybe we can just cut a corner here, let it slide. Um, How hard has it been to kind of hold up and hold yourself accountable for those values and the rest of the team and really stay true to building kind of a more of a family than a, just a pure profit generating business. I, uh, I think we're in a lot of ways, that's uh, a symptom of like our own personal lives, right? So we have two children and when, and a lot of our team kind of like we've worked together for a long time. And so we all went through some of those life changes together, got married together and, you know, had kids together. And um, you realize very quickly what those priorities are. And I think like I think that's an really important that empathy is hard. And I don't judge people who don't have it because it's hard to have until you have those experiences. Right. Um, to me, that 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 personal feeling of like I want to go home and see my kids you know or like I want to be present at dinner I want to be present on the weekends I want to go on vacation and be present and and spend that time and and that I think really drives kind of how we address everything and and experience too right like 
somebody come and prove to me that rushing and getting it through on a deadline and releasing on Tuesday instead of Thursday is going to make a huge difference to my company. And so like until somebody proves that to me, I just don't buy it. Right. So for me, it was like, it's not worth it. It's, it's much more important for nobody to burn out, for people to feel calm, for people to feel value in the work that they do because it allows them and empowers them to have the life that they want. Right. Like work should be this, this, this thing that complements and provides you personal fulfillment, but also enables your, the bigger you, right? The you that writes books, the you that plays with your kids, the you that, you know, coaches soccer, whatever that you is, work has to enable that, not hinder that, you know? And, and I think that's a really important part. And I'm, I'm, I'm honored in some way to be able to like en- enable that for my team, you know? So I don't know. I don't know if that answered your question, but uh, um, it, it definitely does. Do you, I mean, do you feel like it gets easier as time goes on to stick to those and, or does it just case by case every now and then there's something that'll pop up and challenge something? And I think now is a big challenge because there's this kind of middle ground, but, or there's this, this balancing act between we're all really trying to hustle, you know, like we're on the verge of something a while, but like between postmark and the new product and kind of and like where things are going, we're like, I feel sometimes like we're standing on the cliff and we got to take this like huge leap. And that's exciting, but it's challenging because I'm thinking about work a lot more often than I did two years ago. Um, and so it's personally challenging. And I imagine the same for the team where like they're trying not to work on the weekends, but we're excited about stuff and there's a lot going on and, you know, we're having capacity issues with postmark and that kind of thing. So I think it's challenging because the, the core we all believe in, right? We all believe and we, and we don't, we know it's not, you know, just lip service. Like we know it's true, right? But at the same time, we know that in order to enable that environment, we sometimes really have to hustle. And I think that our values are so aligned on this team that I never hear complaints, you know, like, and, and I'm always the one like, stop working, stop working. Like, I want to do this. Like, I'm enjoying it. I want to, enable the future of wild bit. I know that this is what we have to do. I'm excited about it. I'm going to put in a couple extra hours, you know, or whatever that comes out to Mm -hmm. that part has been really challenging to me. It's like to accept that and say like, you're an adult and I trust you and we have the same values. And I know that, you know, that I'm very supportive of you not working or not put, you know, whatever you need to do, but at the same time, allowing my team to like, you know, be adults. And if they want to work a little bit longer or really like push something through, um, that's okay. But I think right now it's just a hard, hard spot because we are kind of in like a fighting mode right now. We're really trying to build something fantastic, really trying to grow it, really trying to do some really awesome things. And, you know, it's not, it's not simple to do it in a nine to five. Yes. How Fine. much work did you do this weekend, Garrett? <laughs> On my own stuff? Too much. Um, <laughs> So, too many questions in my head. I don't know which way to go. <laughs> Another thing about Wildbit, being bootstrapped, um, and obviously you know lots of teams in similar places, similar sizes that have now raised money, um, yep. had conversations with them. Do yep. you still feel like, do you... Do you feel like bootstrapping enables Wildbit to continue to be more different? Or do you feel like at this point, it's just simply, we don't need money. 
to do what we do and that would just be a distraction. What kind of, how does, how has your thinking on all of that evolved as the right. company's grown and matured and you've, you know, seen other teams as they've decided to take that leave and raise money? I, so I don't, I don't, I don't like wear a badge about bootstrapped, <laughs> right? To me, that's not, it's just never been something that is, defines the company, I think. Um, I guess that's, so it's a multifaceted question or maybe answer. So I think to some degree, Chris and I have never raised money because we've never figured out a way to spend it. So um, we have, you know, obviously had offers, you know, it's a long, long time to be in business, but we've always, we, every once in a while we sit down and we say like, if I had an extra million dollars or an extra in cash, right? Like if mm -hmm. I had an extra $5 million, what would we spend it on? And we do this exercise independently. We try to write things down. We don't come up with anything more than, worth more than a few hundred grand. And then we're like, okay, done. You know, like not necessary. Um, but at the same time, I, I understand the raising money is, it comes in different stages in lives, right? So like, yeah. At the stage that you're talking about, the friends that I have, at that stage, I really understand and respect and appreciate the desire to compete in bigger in bigger spaces, to want to just cash out a little bit. You know, people who have multiple founders, and you know, Chris and I are really lucky. It's one founder, technically, right? Like, yeah. it's all the money goes to us, all the relaxation, all the stress. It's all goes in one. You know, we have the same goals, but. You have a team that has three founders with three different places in their lives with different goals. Some has kids. Some, you know, I, I understand the desire to want to take some of it off the table, take some of the risk off the table to cash out. And so I don't I, – I, I look at it on like a case-by-case -case basis, I guess. For yeah. us, it's enabled us to move slower and to grow for a pace that feels good to us. Um, I don't need – a half a billion dollar company. I'm not being silly about that. I clearly want to make money, but I just don't need to get to that point. Right. Like I, I, you know, and I think that's fine. So until I get into a market where the competition is so stiff that I feel like I can't compete anymore, or I feel like we're risking something or Chris and I are just exhausted and need to get out. Um, you know, until then I don't need it. And it's nice to be able to be kind of in control and the only ones who, you know, and some of some people that I know have gotten some of the best investors ever and they're awesome and they're kind and they're patient and all that, but they are investors. They are not, you know, they're not grandma giving you money. Like they expect a return and that changes the trajectory dramatically, which is okay. It just, I'm not there yet. I don't, I don't need that. Yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. Well, and, and I think bootstrapping or raising money, I think a lot of us and at times myself included get too dogmatic about it when really it's raising money and bootstrapping both of them are just strategies to achieve goals totally. and in the right context they're both powerful um, yeah to me that conversation was always unfair because that's you're judging people's goals in that scenario if you want to grow a billion dollar business you're probably going i mean uh, we're not all mailchimp and basic right like we need to get out of that mindset, and so, like, especially in a lot of industries, you gotta, you, you need it, you know. And so, if that's a goal, and that's not a bad goal to have, if you're, you know, that's a goal your whole team can rally, then you need it, you know. And I think, like, it's not fair to say like they're assholes for raising money. Well, it's like, no, you're an asshole for not trying to grow big enough, right? Like, it goes both ways. So, 
you know, to me, it's, it's, it's your personal choice. I think the best analogy that I like is just, it's a tool, right? It's a tool in a tool belt. You reach for it if it's useful. Otherwise, I think a lot of people probably though, uh, I think, and it works both ways. They just get sucked into believing one, one way is the way. And, you know, people raise money when they probably should have bootstrapped and people bootstrap when they actually probably could have raised money or should have raised money. Um, And obviously if you start out bootstrapping and get to a point, where you have some leverage, then raising money is a lot yeah, easier, no, I, better I will terms. Ca- I will caveat that, that I'm talking about growth stage, yeah, yeah. right? Um, I, where I get cranky is when people consider successes raising money pre yeah. anything. And that's when I'm like, okay, that's not really a success. That's you're really good at selling your idea to, a, you know, and, and really putting together a nice PowerPoint deck. Um, and, you know, again, that depends. Like if I was in, you know, in biotech and wanted to, you know, I, yes, like you need, you know, you I, have I have to think we're very, you know, there's a term that I really, that I, I picked up from somebody that I love, like SaaS businesses are capital efficient, extremely capital efficient businesses. Like you can scale it at a nice profit margin without having to spend a ton of money. And so, you know, that's why you go into it. You're selling Widgets, you're gonna need, you know, you need money, yep. right? We do have, I mean, we've gotten loans, like bank loans. I just go the traditional route where I'm like, you know, we have all of our own, manage all of our own hardware, right, for, for systems. So, like, you, you could spend $200,000 on hardware. I don't have $200,000 in the business five years ago just sitting there. You know, you spend it on stuff. So, like, I got a line of credit, spend it on that, you know, like that kind of stuff is okay, but that's, that's not, that's yeah, not worth that's raising money for, right? Yeah. That was 4%. I own the entire company and I paid it off in six months and that was the end of the conversation, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's, that's an interesting business model. Actually, there needs to be better financing for SaaS products because traditional they banks really it. struggle with it. No, they really struggle with it. They base financing on accounts receivable. And I'm like, people pay me up front and they're like, we no, no, no compute. <laughs> Come yeah. on guys. Absolutely. No, it's tough. Yep. So now I want to kind of wind down with a couple simpler, softer questions. Um, Looking back over all this time, what's the single most difficult, stressful moment that can be a week, a day that happened that you could smile about now, but at the time you really just were like, how are we going to get through this? How recent? Yeah, as far back Forever? as you want to go. Growing the business, any, any phase of it. Oh, so... Um, you want to, so there's, I mean, there's outages. I mean, there's been times when like things have gotten really scary. I mean, I've got, it's a long, long time running a business. Um, we got, uh, somebody, uh, and got into our Google, GoDaddy account and once held us hostage for our domains. That was fun. But I don't think that was very scary. That was just fun. Well, I mean, it was scary, but you know, not that scary. We had an issue where, um, Beanstalk, uh, there was this raid controller that just kept dying and Beanstalk would be down for hours. And I remember spending like staying up all night, like literally for like 30 hours, just like trying to do support. That was a little scary. And you kind of see your whole business there and you're like, are people going to stand by you? You know, like especially young business like that. And you're like, are people going to stand by us? They're going to jump ship. And you know, everything we've built is gone in one second. Um, But I think the hardest I will say is, we've been doing this a long time and there was definitely a point where like you get tired. And I think the scariest, hardest part is 
thinking that through, right? Like having those conversations with yourself, with Chris, you know, when like he's been doing this for 16 years, you know, I've only been doing it for like 13. Um, and so like, you know, there are definitely times over the last couple of years where he was just tired and it was like, I can't do this alone. I need you to, you know, or the other way around. And I think those are the kind of moments that I think are really intense because you feel a ton of pressure. I can't just walk away. I have a whole team, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like we have unfinished business, but understanding that, um, it's in our control and that we can figure it out and let's figure out what we do, what we want to do, what we love to do and that we get to do it. Cause that's the whole point of doing this in the first place. Um, you know, but those conversations get really hard for a while and really dark. And then you kind of come out of them, I think in a much better place. Yeah. So on that note, what is it that you love about the business? What is it that pulls you through those moments that get you out of bed in the morning, excited to work on the next thing? Um, I, I love the people I work with and I love the challenges that it brings. Um, and that's definitely like the first priority, but I know that sounds really cheesy. Uh, honestly, personally, I'm being challenged in a way in the, I've been, I'm being challenged for the first time in a long time to push myself personally, to get past kind of some of the stuff that I was really comfortable doing. And I think that personal challenge to like get postmark to where I think they can get it, get the team, create this incredible environment where people are just doing it our way. And we're, we're able to like have a great business. It's profitable, but people are happy and calm and, you know, just proving that to myself that we can do it, that we can do it in a way that makes sense to us, that can be sustainable for a long time, um, feels really good. And you know, that, that kind of intrinsic motivation is really what I get up in the morning and do, you know, this is going to sound really silly, but like when we came up with titles, and like, it was officially like your CEO, which means, you know, like you got to get shit done, right? Like you get to like, you know, and it was like, it didn't change my response. Well, it changed my responsibility, but it didn't change the way my team looked at me, but it was like this personal, like, oh, I'm really responsible for this stuff. You know, like it's not me, you know, and it's like Chris is waking up. I was like, I got to run this product, right? Like these products got to be this tech, you know, the, the systems, the operations of that has to be like brilliant. And that like waking up that next morning and realizing like, oh, that's my challenge versus like the whole world is my challenge. And that feels really overwhelming and all of that. And so I think like, you know, I get up in the morning and I get really excited about like, what else can I do today to get us to where I think we can get, you know, where I can prove to myself that we can do this. Yeah. Which fortunately is a challenge that never ends. It just yes. changes. Dramatically. <laughs> yes. I think that but was now- the, the biggest lesson is, and you mentioned earlier about, uh, kind of being on a cliff and having to jump, but how many times, you know, I feel like that's just constant, right? Like as soon as you jump, you just realize, Oh, well, there's another cliff. And I think yeah. my struggle early years with Sifter was I always thought, Oh, we're there. I'm gonna be able to relax. As soon as I ship this, I'm gonna be able to relax. Things will be in good shape. And there's always something else you can improve. And it's hard. Um, I think it was Amy, uh, who she had a, a sketch that she had somebody do. And it was basically you have to, enjoy living with everything being 80% done all of the time because there's always more you can do. And it's tough to do that and kind of be at peace. There's always more to do and that challenge. And so I think that's a good way to stay motivated. At least from yeah. Perspective. I mean, but I, I look at that, my whole team feels like that, right? Like that's, that's the curse of the knowledge worker is that there's no, 
you know, you don't turn the machine off at the end of the night and go home. There's always a little bit more you could write a little bit better. You could write a little bit more. You could edit better, you know, more tests you can run, you know, and all that stuff. And I think our responsibility to ourselves is to create those starts and stops. Yeah. And I, you know, well, you know my whole feeling on all of that. But, um, you know, I obsess over time management and finding time for work, or for deep work and, and to really truly understand and and direct yourself and where you're going and what you want to do so that you can have that peace of mind at the end. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that wraps up all of my questions. Is there any parting wisdom you got for anybody else coming up about to launch an app, wanting to launch an app? Don't do it or. <laughs> oh, I was at a conference. This is going to sound so sad. I was at a technology conference that will not be named. And I turned to somebody that, you know, on our team, and I was like, if I had to start today, I think it would, I, I would second guess it. It is a, but then I realized like very quickly, it's a very busy, it's a noisy place and it is filled with a lot of crap right now. But I think to truly, if you truly want to build something that's amazing and sustainable, like take the time, figure out what it is and just do it the right way. Like don't do it because somebody wrote about it. Don't do it because, you know, whatever, like do it the right way so that we don't feel our industry was a bunch of crap because I, I left that conference really disappointed with like the garbage that people are building out there. And I, uh, you know, I don't, I think the software industry is the, there's not a software industry anymore. Everything's a software business, right? So I just want to make sure that we're filling space with the things that matter. And that doesn't mean we have to save the world, but just, you know, thoughtful, caring, you know, and you get to build your business your way. And I think that's the important thing. Right on. All right. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Thanks, Garrett. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Bye, everyone.